Hello and welcome to another episode of the weekly VM Campos comic book club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is a podcast where I answer the question, what am I reading this week? This week I've got Alien Worlds number one from Pacific Comics. Now this is a really cool read this week for several reasons. Number one, it comes from a long extinct publishing company, Pacific Comics. Number two, Pacific Comics was actually situated right here in my hometown of San Diego. They published comics in the 80s, oftentimes in high quality paper compared to the big two. This is also an anthology series, which have really died down in modern times. But it was cool to buy a comic book full of a bunch of different stories and enjoy them all for the price of one. As a matter of fact, there is an editorial by Bruce Jones, the editor, that talks about we have an edge. It's the same edge that any anthology work in any medium enjoys, no continuity. So he goes on to talk about how having no continuity frees the artists and writers to create interesting stories where there are actual stakes. And no baggage of having to read the previous 16 issues to get to the current story. I agree with that to some point, but I think the underlying concept of comic books is the continuity of it. And we do see, however, that that continuity can crush, that continuity can be crushing, so that'll be the eternal debate. Anyway, with this book, the cover is by Joe Chiodo. It's a gorgeous painted cover showing a scantily clad spacefarer as she stands alongside her reptilian crew member on the surface of some alien planet. It's beautifully painted. It really gives you a sense of what this comic is about. Sci-fi. Some issues of Alien Worlds would have the For Mature Readers label on the front because there is violence and nudity with matured concepts. On the cover, we also see Williamson, Jones, Conrad, Mayerick, and Redondo, big names in the industry. The cool thing is that Bruce Jones wrote all of the stories here, so they have that sort of cohesive narrative style. They'll have twist endings, but then each story is, is expertly drawn, and it's on high-quality Baxter paper, way better than the cheap newspaper that the other companies were using at the time. Now, at the time, it made for a nice, bright white paper. My copy's been a little bit yellowed, and it's been a little bit more beat up than I would have liked it to be, but it's still a great little addition to my collection. Now, I usually don't do spoilers in my podcast, but I will say here, for a book from 1982, this is going to be a completely spoiler-filled podcast episode. The first story is The Few and the Far by Jones and Al Williamson. Jones writing, Al Williamson drawing. The story starts off with the name's Collins, Pete Collins. There are so few of us Earthlings left now, and it's a damn shame, too. Once we dominated the universe, the highest form of intelligence, now we've dwindled to a precious few, struggling for survival and one intergalactic war after another. So that sets the stage really well that this is a future, humanity's on the brink, 
this guy Pete Collins is actually going to go um, meet his uh, betrothed, uh, you know, uh, a female to continue the species with. There isn't a lot of backstory to that. He just has to get there to meet this woman. He's being shot at, however, by some, uh, you know, rival uh, alien ship and such. He crash lands. Another ship also crashes. Uh, it appears to be a woman, but you never know because in this uh, story, uh, these aliens could have shape-shifting abilities. So there's this standoff between the two. Are you really a, a human woman? Um, you know, what, are you real? As night falls, uh, the, the, the woman's cloak actually disappears and she becomes a cat creature. Well, obviously then he was correct. She wasn't what she expected. But there's a struggle. She runs off. She shoots at him. She runs towards his spaceship to leave him stranded. He has no choice but to shoot her. He kills her. And he realizes, good lord, no, I couldn't be true. It couldn't. Frantically, I searched through her ID, but it was her. I buried her there on the rocky little planet under the twinkling stars, wondering when the wars would stop, wondering when people would trust each other again. So yes, this was the woman that he was going to go be, uh, be betrothed to. But wait, the twist to the twist is that they're not actually humans. They are shape-shifting, uh, frog-like creatures. So the beautiful woman facade that she had was not her real form. It was this frog creature. But he was a frog creature too. The last lines. I tacked her photo to the cross. Then I dropped my hypno screen and hopped back to my ship. There are so few of us left. It will be a long while before I find another. The art is gorgeous. The scenery in this alien world is utterly beautiful. Great twist ending. Very enjoyable story. The next one is Domain by Bruce Jones and Val Myrick. Myrick is actually the uh, co-creator of Howard the Duck, FYI. Okay, this one's interesting. Moloch was leader. Moloch was law. All obey Moloch. When his little so basically Moloch is this leader of this uh, primitive tribe. He's the leader. He's the strongest. He has all the women. He um, has all the men fight the creatures. He's basically, you know, the leader of every of everyone. Um, the twist about this is okay. It sets up really well that these primitives have this society that they have left. And they are their own tight-knit group. And he, Moloch, then has the strength to force his will upon everyone, especially the women. So he's the leader of this group. But there is a forbidden zone that they must never travel to. One of his tribe does travel toward it. But Moloch stops him and beats him to death. When he returns to the group, a uh, savage beast is killing the rest of his tribe. And they're begging him... Suddenly, little Numa breaks down. She cries and wails and begs Moloch to take them back to the tribe. Kolo Shaba, Kolo Mega Paza. In her excitement, she forgets the rules and uses one of the forbidden words. Moloch jogs her memory. So, what is what? What, what is this forbidden word? What is the um, other tribe like? What? What is this all about? 
after a couple of the women give him wine to uh, tucker him out, one of them, Cloa, goes to the Forbidden Zone where this mysterious crashed ship is at. It is Cloa's voice he hears within, and she is using the forbidden words. Vanguard 5 to Earth, do you copy? That's right, we've been marooned here for months. It was supposed to be a vacation. Miller's gone berserk. Thinks he's a caveman or something. He's got us dressed up like savages. Oh, the twist here is that it is actually in the future where there is space tourism. And Miller, who has dubbed himself Moloch, has stranded the rest of his travelers on this savage planet and reverted to a primitive state where he is the law. It ends, Moloch is leader, Moloch is law, all obey Moloch. Pretty fascinating take on a futuristic story. And this is one of the examples where there's a lot of violence and nudity. After all, they have reverted to a primitive state, whether they like it or not. There's a hilarious ad from Santa Claus talking about comic subscriptions make great gifts and how you can get the uh, subscriptions to a variety of Pacific comics comics, such as Twisted Tales, Alien Worlds, Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. Santa and the Reindeer here are drawn by Rick Gary, who I've met at San Diego Comic-Con. The next story is Head of the Class by Bruce Jones and Nestor Redondo. Okay, this one's, this one's great. There's these orphans at an orphanage, and Miss Ferguson runs it with an iron fist. She's an old crone that doesn't take any guff. As a matter of fact, naughty, naughty child, seems to me that qualifies as punishable activity, wouldn't you say, Daniel? A first-degree demerit, I should think. Luther, the index finger, please. And Luther rips this little kid's finger off right there in front of everyone else. Very good. Place the finger on the mantle, please, Luther. You may resume your dinner, Daniel. Okay, so the main kid of the story, Jeremy, has recently come to this orphanage. And this lady, Miss Ferguson, runs it with an iron fist, ripping kids' fingers off. In another infraction, Naughty, naughty child, the body is God's temple. To sleep through exercise is to profane that temple, Luther. Basically, Luther rips off the kid's arm. It's like, whoa, this is the most violent thing I've ever seen. These kids are like being literally ripped apart in this orphanage. But wait a minute, here's one of the twists. But no orphanage board in the universe would stand for this, Ralph. Under the Asimov law, we're supposed to be treated just like other children. Dun dun dun, Asimov law? Well, this has to do something with maybe robotics? Yes, it's revealed eventually that these kids are robots that Miss Ferguson is a robot herself, uh, managing all of these kids, which leads up to a fashion, fascinating question like, okay, there's robots and there's a headmistress and she's a robot and there's robot kids, but it's an orphanage. Like, what's this all about? Another kid acts up and this time Luther pulls his head off and here it's obvious that, okay, it's a robot because there's a bunch of gears and oil. And this, and this whole orphanage is happening on an asteroid. Well, the story's not over there yet because Jeremy, the new kid, figures out that, okay, if we can tear off Miss Ferguson's head and replace it with one of our robotic heads, we will be able to take over the orphanage for, for good. 
So, okay, they all band together. They're going to do that. So, who's the volunteer? Okay, but who volunteers to have his head removed? That hurts. Jeremy volunteers. Okay, we're all ready. Let's, let's take his robot head off. They pull his head off and he... He was real. He was human. I thought there was a shortage of human children. Isn't that why we were built in the first place? So they ripped off a real child's head. He thought he was a robot like everyone else. They tear his head off. And yes, it's a big old gusher of blood. Well, they still got to go through it. They still got to take off Miss Ferguson's head and replace it with one of their own robot heads. So, okay, we do have a robot head. Quick, let's replace. Put Ralph's head on her body. In moments, one of the kids, it's working, it's on, it's working. But wait a minute, naughty, naughty children should have read a more current book, Paul. Giving you robot children human emotions certainly didn't make you any smarter. I always told you my heart was in the right place, namely my head. All the new adult models have their brains in their chests. More protection, you see. Now who's first for punishment? Oh, <laughs> so Miss Ferguson, the evil... Uh, robotic, uh, you know, school marm uh, still lives and is there to punish them. This is just a continual cycle of punishment. Uh, and also, never mind for Jeremy being a real kid and his head getting ripped off. Epic. Lastly, we've got Talk to Teddy. Story by Bruce Jones, art by Tim Conrad. Basically, there's a man on a shuttle. He was on a business trip. There's a problem in the shuttle. He crash lands on this alien planet. The uh, atmosphere is extremely toxic. Um, he's dead. He's not. He didn't bring enough supplies. The world outside is toxic. He just. He. His. It's everything. He's going to die, and his wife and child will be left without him. One of the last mementos he has of his son is traveling Teddy, a little robotic teddy bear that um, is voice controlled. So the man is just despondent and resigned to die, but then he starts to play with that little robotic toy, commanding it to move around and so forth. Then he gets the idea. He can command the little robot to go outside and pick him the edible fruit and such. And that's what he does. The days pass. He and Teddy are the only beings on this planet besides the wild animals. And the man uses Teddy to help him survive. There's a close call when some sort of winged creature is about to steal Teddy off, but Teddy has a little shock system, so he shocks the creature and it lets him go. Eventually the man prepares tools so that Teddy can fix his ship. He commands Teddy remotely to fix his ship and he's able to do it and blasts off. Yahoo! It works! We did it! We did it, Teddy! Teddy? He... He was still in the rocket tube. Oh no, Bobby, Bobby's heart will be broken. So the present that his son Bobby gave him, that little Teddy robotic bear, helps save the man's life, but he accidentally leaves this robotic teddy bear on that alien planet. He returns home to his loving family. And then that night there's a tapping. There's a tapping at the front door. He opens the front door and sees in the rain. His fur is singed from the rocket's blast, matted from the driving rain. He might have been a stray dog or a half-drowned rat, but he isn't. He's Traveling Teddy, the doll that goes anywhere. 
So the doll followed him back to Earth or wherever, and then it ends. A gentle way to end the book. Another twist ending, another great short story, beginning, middle, and end, and great art. I think that's why this book really succeeds. It's several short stories, beginning, middle, and end, great fun twists, amazing art, cohesive storytelling, all for the price of a dollar fifty. Back in 1982, a comparable Marvel comic would have been sixty cents. This is almost nearly a dollar more, but it was worth it. Again, several stories, great art, wonderful cover. Alien Worlds number one is a winner. So this week I read Alien Worlds number one from Pacific Comics. And this has been the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. See you next week.